0: here is a detailed podcast episode explaining the research paper information categorization for canopy mapping using quality control qc tool affinity diagram kj method welcome everyone to another informative episode of our award-winning podcast i'm tom
1: and i'm Jen. Today we're diving deep into an interesting research paper that explores using a collaborative brainstorming technique called the KJ method to organize information for canopy mapping projects.
0: Canopy mapping is an important process for understanding vegetation distribution and characteristics. But collecting and sorting all the relevant data can be complex. This paper examines how applying a quality control tool like the Affinity Diagram helped a student team effectively categorize information to map tree canopies.
1: Let's start with some context. Canopy mapping uses remote sensing to gather details about plants from a distance. Satellite imagery and other data is analyzed to distinguish vegetation from other objects and classify different species. The maps provide insights into ecology, land use and environmental changes over time.
0: The affinity diagram, also known as the KJ method, is a tool for organizing a large number of ideas or data points visually. Participants generate ideas on sticky notes that are grouped into related categories through an iterative refinement process. This intuitive visual representation fosters collaboration and understanding of complex topics.
1: In this study, six students conducted a brainstorming session guided by a faculty member specialized in geoinformatics. They came up with 21 diverse ideas related to canopy mapping, which were recorded on a board. The paper shares this initial scramble information in a table.
0: Then, through multiple rounds of refinement and consensus building, the students effectively sorted those 21 ideas into four distinct categories, data sources, canopy estimation process, canopy map development, and accuracy assessment.
1: This resulting affinity diagram provided a clear well-structured representation of the key aspects of canopy mapping. It harnessed the team's collective intelligence to organize complex information, with the goal of facilitating precise tree canopy delineation and evaluation.
0: The paper analyzed related works that found quality tools like the affinity diagram improved product quality, enhanced understanding of recurring issues, and aided career decision-making. It also discussed adaptations of the KJ method for other domains like understanding employee experiences.
1: In conclusion, this collaborative approach proved instrumental in enhancing the project's efficiency and effectiveness. It promoted cooperative problem-solving and informed decisions, which are invaluable for complex mapping endeavors. The visual organization of ideas fostered a deeper comprehension of canopy assessment.
0: Thanks for joining us for this detailed breakdown. We hope it provided helpful context and explanations around applying the KJ method for information categorization in canopy mapping projects. Let us know if any part needs more clarification. Here is a comedic commercial for an eccentric company started because of the paper.
1: Are you tired of being overwhelmed by all your tree data? Do satellite images of forests just give you a headache? Well do we have the company for you.
0: Introducing Canopy Cartographers Incorporated with a company that was born from a wacky student project applying brainstorming tools to vegetation mapping.
1: With our revolutionary new product, the KJ Board, organizing tree info has never been more fun. Just write all your quirky tree facts on sticky notes and watch the chaos ensue as we categorize them into nonsensical categories like bark texture and spooky shadows.
0: Need to understand foliage distribution? No problem. With the KJ board, you'll be chuckling too hard to focus on details. Not sure what species dominate an area? Who cares? After a rousing game of sticky note toss. You'll be too dizzy to analyze data.
1: So say goodbye to boring maps and boring meetings. With Canopy Cartographers Incorporated and the KJ board, getting tree work done was never so bizarre. Order now and we'll throw in a plush pinecone that tells knock-knock jokes.
0: Conditions apply. Company not responsible for broken brains or side-splitting from uncontrollable mirth. Batteries not included. Offer expires when the moles people invade. (music) Here is a suggested full response to the prompt providing an explanation of the paper licenciatura NC Collegia. Thesis. Approximation al estudio psychopatologico delta to trivesta to neuroimagen. Welcome friends, thanks for tuning into another episode of our podcast. Today we'll be taking a deep dive into the neurological underpinnings of post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, as revealed through modern neuroimaging techniques. Our topic comes from a paper titled Approach to the Psychopathological Study of PTSD Through Neuroimaging Techniques.
1: It's absolutely fascinating what science has been able to learn about the brain and mental health conditions like PTSD in recent decades. Neuroimaging has really opened up new windows into how trauma impacts brain structure and function.
0: Exactly. So to kick us off. Let me provide some context on PTSD and set the stage for why exploring its biological basis is so important. PTSD is a disorder that develops in some people after experiencing or witnessing a traumatic or stressful event like combat, assault, natural disasters, you name it. Sufferers re-experience the trauma through flashbacks, nightmares or intrusive thoughts. They often avoid reminders of the event and experience symptoms like anxiety, insomnia, and emotional numbness.
1: That gives a sense of the disorder. But why focus on neurobiology specifically?
0: Good question. Studying the neurobiology can help clarify what exactly is happening in the brain and body during trauma and the development of PTSD symptoms. It could shed light on why some people develop PTSD after trauma while others don't. And importantly, identifying the affected brain regions and circuits involved could guide the development of more effective treatments, whether pharmacological or psychotherapeutic.
1: Makes total sense. All right, so what techniques does this paper discuss for probing the brain in PTSD?
0: The main techniques covered are positron emission tomography or PET scans, single photon emission computed tomography or SPECT scans, magnetic resonance imaging or MRI, and functional magnetic resonance imaging or FMRI. Together these allow researchers to examine brain structure, activity levels, and blood flow dynamics across various regions.
1: Very cool. So what are some of the key findings about impacted brain areas?
0: Several areas consistently show up. The hippocampus appears smaller in volume in many PTSD studies, possibly related to high cortisol levels from trauma-induced stress responses. The amygdala often shows increased activation, fitting with its role in emotional processing and fear conditioning. Prefrontal regions like the medial prefrontal cortex sometimes show hypoactivation, implicating deficits in emotional regulation the insula and cingulate cortex are also highlighted in many studies
1: it's fascinating how specific regions line up with certain PTSD symptoms what implications do these findings have
0: there are a few big implications identifying affected regions provides neurobiological validation for cognitive and behavioral therapies that target emotional processing and regulation it also informs development of pharmacological treatments by pinpointing potential drug targets and interestingly The findings suggest people with greater pre-existing vulnerabilities in these fear conditioning circuits may be predisposed to developing PTSD after trauma. More research is still needed, but this paints a hopeful picture that one day we may be able to predict and prevent PTSD through early intervention strategies.
1: What an insightful discussion. Thanks for the breakdown Tom. Listeners, be sure to check out the full paper for all the exciting details. Until next time.
0: Thanks for joining us all. Hope you found it as fascinating as we do. Take care until next episode. Here is a suggested comedic commercial, upbeat jazz music plays narrator. Are you tired of struggling with traumatic memories and PTSD symptoms? Well, do we have the product for you. Introducing Brainiac's TM Neuroimaging Headsets. Simply strap on one of our patented multi-spectral league slash FMRI slash Mrs. Headsets and let our advanced algorithms go to work. Within minutes, our exclusive Trauma Treat DM software will locate the source of your problems in the hippocampus, amygdala, or prefrontal cortex. Then it slides out for those dysfunctional neural pathways with our forensic grade LASIK head beams. No more disruptive flashbacks, nightmares or anxiety, we fry the PTSD right out of your brain in an instant. And with our new Platinum Plus DM model, let our roaming nanoprobes give your whole brain a thorough cleaning and tune-up. Call now and we'll throw in a complimentary DBI or two absolutely free order your Brainiacs TM headset today because who needs talk therapy when you can just laser your problems away operators are standing by so don't wait zap that zone of proximal development right now Brainiacs TM will analyze and annihilate your issues while you snooze what are you waiting for <music> Here is a proposed podcast episode discussing the research paper creation and validation of the online self-disclosure via educational platforms, OzDeep, Scale. Welcome listeners to another episode of the Higher Ed Research Review Podcast. I'm your host Tom. Joining me as always is my co-host Jen. Today we'll be taking a deep dive into a new study that developed and validated an important scale for measuring students' online behaviors. Jen, can you start us off with some context around the focus of this research?
1: Absolutely Tom. As we all know, the landscape of higher education has changed dramatically in recent years with the rise of online and hybrid learning models. The COVID pandemic accelerated this transition online in many ways. As part of this shift, student interactions and communications with faculty have increasingly moved to digital platforms. While online platforms can provide valuable learning opportunities, they also present new risks around how students share personal information or disclose details of their lives. Up until now, researchers didn't have a standardized tool to systematically measure and study students' self-disclosure behaviors in online educational contexts specifically. So this new paper sought to fill that gap by creating and validating the first scale to do just that the online self-disclosure via educational platforms or Deep scale for short. Developing a valid psychometric tool in this area is an important first step to gain a better understanding of students' online behaviors and how they may relate to key outcomes.
0: Thanks for providing that helpful background Jen. For our listeners who may be less familiar with some of the theoretical concepts in this area, Could you take a few minutes to explain the construct of self-disclosure and why it's important in online environments?
1: Absolutely. Self-disclosure generally refers to revealing personal information about oneself to others. A core part of developing relationships and exchanging information. But online, the process of self-disclosure takes on new dimensions. For one, the reduced nonverbal cues in digital interactions can actually ease self-disclosure due to a phenomenon called online disinhibition. At the same time, not being able to gauge audience reactions as clearly online also introduces risks. Namely, the potential for over-disclosing private details to an unintended audience. This is especially true for college students, who tend to be emerging adults having grown up fully immersed in a digitally connected world. Research shows this group typically discloses more online than older populations. So in educational contexts where self-disclosure facilitates help seeking from faculty, it's important to consider how students may disclose differently online versus in person. A lack of alignment between student and instructor norms could lead to miscommunication or students sharing inappropriately. Measuring this online behavior systematically is crucial to understanding its implications.
0: Great overview of the theoretical underpinnings Jen. I can see why developing a standardized scale to quantify self-disclosure in online educational settings would be so useful. Why don't you give us a rundown of the methodology used in this study to create the Deep scale?
1: For sure. The researchers employed a rigorous, multi-phase process aligned with best practices for developing new psychometric measures. Phase 1 involved qualitative item generation through a focus group with five students. This helped refine an initial item pool that captured self-disclosure via educational platforms. In Phase 2, they administered this item set to two independent samples totaling over 280 students. First, an exploratory factor analysis was run to examine the underlying structure and reduce items. This revealed a three-factor solution explaining personal, university, and health-slash-financial topics of disclosure. Further analysis refined the items and affirmed the scale's reliability. Lastly, in Phase 3 they evaluated the scale's convergent and divergent validity by comparing scores on the OSDEEP to an existing online self-disclosure measure. Results supported the OSDEEP as measuring a distinct yet related construct. Overall, it seems the researchers have taken significant steps to create a well-validated scale for assessing this important construct.
0: Thanks for walking us through the rigorous development and validation process, Jen. It's great to see they followed best practices and gathered feedback from students themselves during item creation. From a practical standpoint, how could researchers and educators potentially use and benefit from this new OzDeep scale?
1: There are definitely some promising applications. First, Researchers can leverage the OzDeep scale to better understand predictors and outcomes related to student disclosure online with faculty. Things like how disclosure ties to engagement, attainment, well-being or other important outcomes. Educators may also find value. For example, the scale could provide insights into differing perceptions around online norms between students and instructors. This could help facilitate improved communication. Or institutions may learn how disclosure habits change over time, such as in response to relationship-building initiatives with faculty. More broadly, as digital pedagogies continue advancing, the OzDeep scale establishes an empirical foundation for ongoing research at the intersection of technology, teaching and learning behaviors. Having a validated assessment tool opens many doors for gaining deeper Evidence-Based Perspectives on Student Experiences in Online Educational Domains.
0: Excellent points Jen. In closing, I think this research makes an important contribution by developing the first standardized measure specifically focused on students' self-disclosure in online learning contexts. With further validation and application, the Deep Scale shows promise for enhancing our understanding of technology's role in higher education. Listeners, thanks for joining us today as we unpack this timely study. Until next time. Here is a farcical commercial for a company inspired by the research announcer, are you oversharing on online forums again? Finding yourself DMIing in Twitter DMs late at night. Well worry no more, because now there's overshare. With overshare, we'll monitor all your digital communications and edit out anything too revealing before hit send. Do you really need to tell that study group your whole life story? With overshare, We'll summarize it as had a sandwich for lunch. Too many tweets while day drinking? Our algorithms will autocorrect embarrassing fragments into uplifting mantras about kindness. Maybe you had a wild weekend you'd rather faculty not know about. No problem. Our advanced AI was trained on the OzDeep scale, so we know exactly what's too personal to post. Let Overshare be your digital chaperone. We'll keep your private life private so you can focus on your studies.and for a limited time. Sign up now and we'll throw in our premium full delete package absolutely free. One click and it's like those regrettable DMs never even happened. Protect your online self-image with overshare. Because sometimes too much information is exactly enough. Order now. Here is the podcast transcript in full detail about the paper. Welcome listeners to another edition of the award-winning podcast Engaging Insights. I'm your host Tom.
1: And I'm Jen. Today we have a very informative episode for you all as we break down the research paper Organizing for Engagement, a multi-level SEM model of the relationship between work engagement, job design, participation climate, and clan culture.
0: That's a mouthful. This paper examines some interesting topics around what influences employee work engagement at both the individual and group level. As usual, Jen and I will thoroughly explain the concepts, methodology, and implications in an insightful yet accessible way
1: let's get started with the introduction this paper aims to bridge an important knowledge gap in the current research on work engagement most studies so far have only looked at individual level factors that influence engagement but the authors want to explore higher level antecedents as well
0: exactly they point out that relationships observed at the individual level may change or even reverse at higher group levels So it's important to consider how shared perceptions and organizational structures also impact engagement. The purpose of this study is to examine the associations between engagement, job design, participation climate, and clan culture using a multi-level approach.
1: Next, we'll provide some key context and background. Work engagement refers to a positive state of fulfillment, vigor and absorption in one's work. It's been linked to better performance, health, and job satisfaction the authors argue it can emerge not just at the individual level but also as a property of work groups through social influence processes.
0: That's a novel perspective. Moving to our breakdown of concepts, participation climate refers to policies and procedures that allow employees influence over decisions. Clan culture prioritizes affiliation, attachment and colleague support through shared norms. Job design involves discretion and flexibility and task execution. These are hypothesized to act as resources that foster engagement.
1: Now for the methodology. The study analyzed survey data from over 900 employees across 101 work units in the Norwegian police force. It used multi-level structural equation modeling, (MSEM) to simultaneously test relationships at the individual and unit levels. This allowed them to model work engagement as both an individual and group level phenomenon.
0: Molson is a sophisticated statistical technique that allows researchers to account for the nested structure of data when individuals are grouped. It provides a rigorous test of the multi-level hypotheses. The results would show if the proposed model with homologous relationships across levels displayed good fit to the observed data.
1: Moving to the results, the model was found to have excellent fit, providing support for most of the hypotheses. Participation climate and job design were positively linked to individual and unit level engagement. Job design partially mediated these relationships. Also, clan culture positively associated with participation climate at both levels.
0: These findings have important theoretical, empirical and practical implications. Theoretically, it extends our understanding of how organizational factors shape engagement beyond individual perceptions. It also provides initial support for modeling homologous relationships across levels. From a practical standpoint, it offers guidance on fostering context conducive to high engagement.
1: In conclusion, this study addressed an important gap by demonstrating that engagement can be modeled as an emergent group property, not just an individual attribute. The influence of unit level and like culture, climate and design were also established. Overall, it contributes new knowledge on maximizing engagement from an organizational perspective.
0: Excellent breakdown, Jen. I hope our listeners found this informative discussion of this complex paper insightful yet intuitive. Please get in touch if any part needs more explanation. Until next time.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care.
0: Here's a comedic commercial for the Imagine Company. Upbeat jazz music plays as multicolored graphics flash on screen voiceover. Are you tired of feeling unengaged at work? Bored out of your mind in pointless meetings? Want to find true fulfillment but your job lacks structure and support? Graphics come together to reveal the company logo, clandestine culture core voiceover, then come to clandestine culture core. We're a one-stop shop for all your organizational engagement needs. Live action shots of employees participating in bizarre team-building exercises like trust falls and interpretive dances voiceover, need to foster stronger clan culture? We've got you covered with our bizarre bonding activities that will have your employees questioning reality by mid-afternoon. Executives are shown participating in a trust fall into a ball pit while wearing funny costumes voiceover, lacking participation climate? We'll have your employees influencing decisions they didn't know they wanted to make in no time. Shot of employees in a brainstorming meeting where post-its are being thrown like confetti voiceover, and for job design, leave it to our experts to add unnecessary steps and meaningless responsibilities to every role. You'll be fully engaged, or want to engage in a mutiny. Logo and jingle again voiceover, so contact Clandestine Culture Corps today to take your employee engagement to new bizarre heights. Results not guaranteed, some assembly required. Side effects may include existential dread. (laughs) Here is a detailed podcast episode on the paper hair cortisol concentration is associated with executive function in female college football players. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the award winning podcast. I'm your host Tom joined by my co-host Jen. Today we're diving deep into an intriguing new study examining the relationship between chronic stress levels and cognitive function in female college athletes.
1: That's right, Tom. For our listeners who may not be familiar with the scientific research process, will be breaking this paper down step by step providing context on the significance of the findings and making even complex topics easy to understand. So let's get started. Introduction, 500 plus words. This
0: study examines an important issue in women's sports. How does chronic stress impact mental health and performance in college athletes? The researchers used hair cortisol concentration or HCC as a novel biomarker to assess long-term stress levels in female football players over the course of a competitive season. HCC is gaining attention as it allows researchers to retrospectively measure stress accumulation over months using just a small hair sample. This gives us a way to understand how stress physiology links to cognitive and mental functioning in athletes. The aim was to see if executive function, an important cognitive domain for sports, decline more prior to an important tournament when stress may be highest.
1: It's also significant because most previous research on stress and cognition in athletes has relied on psychological questionnaires rather than biological markers. Using HCC gives us physiological data which can provide deeper insights. The study took place over two time points to examine within subject changes, right before league competition in August and then in December prior to the National Championship Tournament. This design allowed them to see how stress and cognitive measures may fluctuate over a sports season in response to training demands. Key concepts and background, 500 plus words.
0: Let me provide some background on the main scientific concepts. Cortisol is a stress hormone released by the HPA axis in response to psychological and physical stressors. Short-term spikes in cortisol are helpful. But chronic elevated levels can be harmful, potentially impairing brain regions involved in executive function like the prefrontal cortex. Executive function refers to higher order cognitive processes like adapting to changes, suppressing inappropriate responses, and strategy slash planning. It's vital for sports requiring quick decision making. Studies link both very low and very high long-term cortisol to cognitive decline, suggesting an optimal moderate level for brain function. Meanwhile, The tapering period before competitions aims to peak performance by gradually reducing training load to recover physically and mentally from accumulated fatigue. But excessively cutting back could in theory lead to suboptimal cortisol levels and compromised cognition if the body is still adapting to stress.
1: Exactly. The theory is that HCC reflects integrated cortisol levels over weeks and could serve as a physiological measure of an athlete's long-term training response. Higher HCC has been reported in more physically active individuals, so researchers predicted it may decrease in December if training loads substantially reduced during tapering. They hypothesized executive function would decline more at this time point if stress levels fell too much. The spatial Stroop task was used as an objective measure that tests aspects of executive control like cognitive flexibility.core. 2,500 plus words.
0: Let's get into the methodology and key results. 28 female college soccer players participated and provided hair samples, cognitive testing and questionnaires in August and December. HCC was significantly lower in December, suggesting a reduction in chronic stress. Self-reported average training load change positively correlated with HCC change, indicating lower reported effort linked to decreased stress levels. For executive function, Reaction times on the horizontal Stroop task tended to increase from August to December. Critically, changes in HCC negatively correlated with changes in horizontal Stroop interference, meaning bigger drops in HCC associated with worsening executive performance on this specific measure requiring quick direction judgment. No other cognitive or mental health metrics significantly differed.
1: Interestingly, while HCC significantly decreased from August to December consistent with tapering, psychological stress questionnaires showed higher interpersonal stress was actually reported in December compared to August. This disconnect highlights that perceived stress doesn't necessarily match physiological stress responses. HCC also didn't correlate with stress questionnaires at either time point dot regarding the relationship between chronic stress and executive function. A negative correlation trend was seen between HCC and horizontal Stroop reaction times in August only. Overall changes in HCC negatively correlated most strongly with changes in the horizontal interference effect. So athletes experiencing the biggest drops in chronic stress as indexed by HCC, demonstrated the greatest worsening in this executive function domain requiring flexible thinking. implications and applications, 500 plus words.
0: These findings have meaningful implications. First, they suggest that excessive reduction in training load during tapering may diminish rather than maximize cognitive abilities important for sports performance if stress levels fall too much. Second, HCC could serve as a useful biomarker for monitoring athletes' long-term physiological responses to periodized training programs to help avoid unintended cognitive consequences.Coaches may need to individually tailor tapering to avoid overcutting back for certain athletes. And HCC provides data beyond self-report alone which isn't foolproof. Third, it lends support for an optimal moderate level of long-term cortisol for maintaining cognition rather than assuming lore is always better for the brain. Finally, The same principles could apply to managing chronic stress in other domains like academic workload for student-athletes.
1: I totally agree. This fills gaps in our understanding of how long-term stress physiology impacts the mind-body relationship in sports. HCC is a promising physiological metric that reflects cumulative training load better than snapshot methods. The findings also have public health relevance, they suggest both under- and over-activation of the stress response system can compromise brain health. Maintaining an adaptive moderate level of stress long-term may be important for cognition even in young fit populations. Conclusion, 500 plus words.
0: To wrap things up, this study presented novel evidence that abnormally low levels of chronic stress assessed through HCC can negatively impact executive function a key cognitive domain for sports performance, in female college athletes. It demonstrated HCC as a useful biomarker correlated with training load changes and sensitive enough to detect subtle alterations in cognition associated with physiological tapering responses over a competitive season. The longitudinal design also allowed the researchers to observe within subject fluctuations and relationships between stress and executive function as training demands naturally varied for each athlete. This provided a more nuanced understanding compared to isolated snapshots. Overall, the findings suggest proper periodization of training to avoid excessive tapering may be important for maintaining both physical and mental abilities in athletes.
1: In closing, I think this research makes an important contribution towards recognizing the brain as another organ that requires periodized management of stress demands just like the body. It highlights the value of biological markers beyond psychological measures alone for illuminating mind-body connections in sports science. I'm excited to see where this line of research goes in helping optimize athlete health and performance through a more holistic understanding of the interplay between chronic stress physiology and cognition.
0: Great summary, Jen. Thanks for joining me to break down this fascinating study. I hope our listeners found this episode informative and insightful into the latest scientific advances in sports physiology. Be sure to tune in next time for another in-depth dive into new research. Until then, take care. Here is a silly commercial for a fictional company are your stress levels all out of whack? Does your executive function leave something to be desired? Then come on down to hair today, gone tomorrow. We're the number one provider of hair cortisol concentration tests. Just a small clipping is all we need to determine if your long-term stress is too high, too low, or just right. Need to tweak your training program but hate filling out tedious surveys? Hair today, gone tomorrow has you covered. We'll biologically verify that your taper isn't too extreme so you can peak without your prefrontal cortex plunging. Can't decide if you should power through midterms or take a break? Bring us your hair and we'll give you the biochemical facts to balance your workload and wits. So if you want to optimize your health, habits, and performance based on good old-fashioned biological biomarkers, make Hair Today, Gone Tomorrow your number one stop. You'll be stressed, distressed, and your are best dressed in no time. Hair Today, Gone Tomorrow, we've got you court. <music>